0: The scripture this morning is what the angels said to the shepherds in the 10th verse of Luke chapter 2. They said, do not be afraid, for I bring you good news, which will be for great joy for all the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. A few years ago, uh, Christmas uh, stirred in me something that wasn't positive. It all started at the Christmas Eve uh, service, the very first of the services we had that day. I was coming through the door on uh, the east side, and we were getting set up. Uh, There wasn't much of a crowd here yet, and and there was a mother there with uh, a couple of uh, her children, uh, one close to a teenager and one probably about eight years old or so. And as I walked by on my way uh, to the... uh, through the chancel rail to check on something, I heard her turn to her children and go, Shh, don't smile. This is church. And I wondered, was that the message that we were sending? It didn't get better. The rest of Christmas Eve services were fine, and then Christmas Day was okay, but then the headline story on the evening news on Christmas Day was about three guys who were dressed up like the wise men. There were only three in this one, Dinah. And they went to a convenience store and robbed it in those disguises. And I thought, you know, no wonder Christianity gets a bad name. We, instead of being known as the people who spread joy and who spread happiness, and, and who give life to the world, sometimes get known as people who take life and, and who take joy from the world, and I don't think that's as God intended it. It reminded me of the definition of the Puritans that you've probably heard. A definition of a Puritan is this. It is a person who is afraid that somebody else somewhere is having a good time. There, there is that sense among many of those of us who are devout followers of Jesus, that we're here to keep people in line, and we're here to, to hold them down, as opposed to being here to spread and release people and release joy into the world. The angels came and said, this is good news, and it's going to be bring joy. My uh, message to you this morning is real simple. Of all the people on the planet, the Christians ought to be the most joyful, So why is it? How is it that we've gotten the reputation of being the least joyful people around? Dallas Willard put it this way. He said, I believe God is the happiest being in the universe. Our joy follows after the joy of our creator, who I think created us in part because life was so wonderful that God could not keep it to God's self. The joy was so great, and the happiness of existence was so wonderful that God wanted to share it. We are a people of joy, and yet our reputation, it seems to me, is uh, completely otherwise, and that's unfortunate. Because the scriptures are full of discussion about the joy of God's people. You start with the Old Testament. And in Deuteronomy, the people are commanded to tithe. And that doesn't seem very joyful, to take 10%, the first 10% of what God has given you, and give it back. But if you read Deuteronomy 14, the original tithe was to throw a giant party. A giant party for all of God's people. You gave, and God then used what you gave to give you back even greater joy. David, the king, was once criticized by his wife because he was too joyful, dancing before the ark of the Lord in his uh, priest's apron and ephod, and and, uh, she thought it was unseemly. This sort of display of joy on the part of a king. But the scriptures are full of the joy. And when you get to the New Testament, what's the knock on Jesus? If you don't like Jesus, what's your criticism of, of him? It's this. He parties too much. He is a drunkard, a glutton. He hangs around with sinners. The criticism was never of Jesus. You're too strict. Criticism of Jesus is, was never you don't ever have a good time. The criticism of Jesus was, why are you having such a good time and spreading it among all of these people? Even Paul picked up on some of that. His advice to the Philippians, which is also echoed in his advice to the Thessalonians, was rejoice. Rejoice always, always Uh, be joyful. I saw someone did the research. They said there are 60 references to parties in the Bible's. Sixty references to partying in the Bible. Fifty-eight of them are positive. Fifty-eight of them are positive. But when's the last time Christians ever threw a good party? When's the last time people ever thought they were coming into this building to celebrate? To celebrate. I know the fear among the pastoral staff is that there would be big backlash in the children's sermon this morning because we pulled all the children away from their toys. When did we ever... I think that this might be a big, festive occasion, and yet I think that's what God intended, that we would be a people of joy, who would multiply the joy of the world rather than try to cut the joy of the world in half. And I think when we do that, we fit into God's larger desires and God's plans, because I think God knows what probably we ought to know, that joy is contagious. And that joy is attractive. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said joy is the serious business of heaven. It's really a part of God's plan because God knows that you can rejoice people into faith much more easily than you can whip people or goad people into faith. Larry Crabb, Christian author and counselor, talks about and that his house that he grew up in was a place of great joy and happiness. And his mother and father were laughing often with the children. And he said one of his friends grew up in a house that wasn't that way at all. And he said, my friend found a way to spend most of his teenage years in my parents' house. And if you ask him why, the answer was simple. Because in your house, the people laugh. Laughter is a part, I think, of God's plan because it's attractive and it shows people uh, the, the beauty and the wonder of our faith, that it multiplies joy in a person's life. It doesn't take it away. You don't, you don't check in your energy and enthusiasm when you become a Christian. It gets multiplied. I like what author Mark Buchanan once said. He said this. He said, If you think that's the partiers in the world who are going to hell, you've got the addresses mixed up. Because it's the partiers in this world who really understand the joy and the celebration. That is in Christ Jesus, and that fits God's plan because it's attractive. And the only one who enjoys sadness is probably the evil one himself. Satan is probably the only one who gets excited when nobody laughs. Now, I don't know that from a particular scripture in the Bible other than what Jesus said. He says the thief has come to steal and to kill and to destroy. The thief, he said, comes to take away life where Jesus comes to give life. I noticed on the, one of the history channels uh, yesterday there was a program on Joseph Stalin and and I didn't watch it it's it's kind of too painful to follow Joseph Stalin anyway but one of the things I know about Stalin is this he hated laughter. Absolutely hated laughter. When you laugh, when you celebrate, when you have a good time, who do you think you're serving? When you do that, you're serving the God who is the happiest being in the universe. So in closing this morning, as a person who sometimes struggles to celebrate as much as I ought, let me throw a few things that that I think have have proven helpful in my life. The first thing is this, that celebration is not accidental. Accidental that uh, if you don't plan your life to be joyful, it's just not going to come to you. A lot of us just think, well, I was born happy or I was born melancholy, and that's just the way it is. I don't think that's true at all. Why else would, uh, would God in the Scriptures tell us to be joyful if it weren't possible for us? So my first bit of advice is you need to plan your life in such a way that you plan for times of joy and you plan for events of celebration If you watch commercials on TV and you get the sense that they're having a lot better time than you are, the problem is not that you need to go get their product. The problem is you need to look at your life and say, do I really live and plan my life in such a way that I have opportunity to rejoice and uh, to celebrate? So I would say the first thing is you've got to plan for that, and part of that is you need to make sure that in your life you're always spending part of your time with other joyful people. All of us need to reach out to the sad and to the hurting people in the world without question. But if that's all we do and we surround ourselves most of the day with people who are completely serious and for whom uh, faith is uh, life and death, well, mostly death matter, then we can't expect that we will grow our quotient for joy. Find some people who, uh, who love to laugh, who love to have a good time. Uh, One of the things that that I've tried to uh, share in, in my work environment is to make sure that I go hang out in the offices at our work where they're laughing. And make sure that, I, that I'm there and not just all the time in, in, my own, uh, in my own space. Plan your life and your day in such a way that you, you hang out with those who celebrate. Another thing that's uh, helpful to me is just to get a, a, a right perspective. And the right perspective on the world is uh, that God wins. Whatever your problem, issue, and struggle is right now, I'm not denying it. It is real. It is yours. I, be, I believe it's there but it will not last it will not last as long as your life in god will last god will have the last and final word on everything and what god does is that god's last word is always god's very best word know that where you're going know that where you're ending up is going to be much better than even where you are today and with that perspective i think you can move on and rightfully put everything else in its perspective uh, If this is the worst that happens to you, whatever happens in this moment, how does it affect your life with God forever? And the fact of the matter is it probably can't affect that. And so we're able to put things in perspective. Another perspective that's helpful to me is simply to understand that I'm not God. And that I'm not responsible for curing everyone's illnesses, for solving everyone's problems, for making sure that everything goes perfectly for everybody. That's God's job. That's not mine. And so a helpful perspective for me is just to remind myself that God is the king and, and, and I'm the servant. And I, all the responsibility of the world is not on my shoulders. It's on God's shoulders. I'll let it stay there. I, I used to have a sign in my office um, uh, that said this. It says um, uh, that uh, he, that. Give your, uh, uh, give your concerns and your problems to God. God's going to be up all night anyway. And so I don't have to be up all night with that stuff because, because God will hold it. So it's helpful to me to have that perspective. And then finally, it's just helpful to me to know that if I'm going to rejoice, the only time in which I can do it is right now. That John Ortberg was very helpful to me and years ago making the distinction that there are people in this world who are waiting to live and there are people who are living. You know the ones that are waiting to live. You've been there. When the kids get out of school or when they get out of diapers or when I'm through with this round of chemotherapy or when this bill is paid off or you fill in the blank. At some future time, it will be appropriate for you to rejoice, but not right now. And my experience tells me if you cannot and will not rejoice right now, you simply are never going to get to the place where you will. I don't care how much things change. They will never change enough to make you joyful if you can't do it where you are. It's a matter of, of, of doing it where we are and knowing that it's in line with who God is and who God made us to be. And I think it's also part of seeing the world rightly. Uh, knowing that every moment can be a moment of celebration. Story is told about a rural mail, mail carrier, and he is bringing the mail in February 1809 to Hardin County, Kentucky, which is just nowhere. It, it's sort of at the back of the uh, of the civilized world, and so the rural mail, mail carrier brings the mail and asks somebody there in the in the small. Small town. How's it going? And the guy said, well, you know, nothing ever happens here. Tell us what's going on in the bigger world. And he said, well, okay. He said, "Uh, there's problems with the crown. It wouldn't surprise me if we have another war uh, with England. He said, they're talking about a national bank. And he talked about a new road that was coming in. And then the mail carrier then uh, turned back to the man that lived in that small settlement and said, so what's new here? And he said, there's never anything new here. He said, oh, He said, uh, Nancy Hanks and Tom Lincoln had a little baby boy the other day, but nothing really ever happens here. Well, I bet Nancy and Tom knew that something had happened, and I bet they celebrated it. And 150, 200, I bet 250 years later, they'll still be celebrating it that day. Don't have anything to celebrate. About 2,000 years ago, There was a baby boy to Mary and Joe in Bethlehem.